Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to How To Be Sound, a podcast where I, Rosemary McCabe, speak to people I think are sounder than I am. Although today's might be an exception because you're now laughing at how really wonderfully professionally I've done my intro. (laughs) This is probably going to be the first podcast since I mentioned that I am leaving my full-time job and I am now going to be writing full-time on a freelance basis from home. And the number one way that I'm going to be making my living drumroll please, is from Patreon. So if you are not already a subscriber and you would like to support me in my endeavours to write more and hopefully eventually write the damn book, then I would really appreciate it if you'd pledge as little as $1 a month on Patreon. You can do that at patreon.com slash Rosemary McCabe with an A in my Mac. Today I am joined by Jennifer Stevens, who is a journalist, magazine editor, mom. (laughs) Do you identify as a mom? Are you putting that on your Twitter bio now? I am not putting that in my Twitter bio, but Mother I, and I, wife. I, oh yes, um, maybe I'll just change everything to Jen Stevens, mom and wife. I think that would be revolting. Yeah, I think that would be the end of our friendship. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, before we start, one of the little icebreakers I usually do is, do you remember how we met? Or when we met? Do you remember the moment we met? As our eyes locked across a crowded room. Do I remember the moment we met? No, I, No. <laughs> Maybe I should have prepared. <laughs> no, but I mean, do you remember, like, do you remember the first time you were aware of me? Because I'm not sure we would have met as such, but we would have been at things together. No. Because the first, okay, so She's I'll tell you. very badly. No, 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 no. The first time I remember, I think probably the first time we met properly was when I came into Tatler and I was doing some cover and we probably were introduced, but we were aware of each other, had seen each other at things before that. No, I knew you, I knew you before that. Did you? Yeah. But the first time I was aware of you was... I think a group of people went on some trip with Chanel. Okay. And I remember people talking about that they got to pick something up to a certain value. I think you got a necklace or something in this Chinese Whispers version of the story that I heard third or fourth or fifth hand. Okay. And this was when I became aware, like, ah, Jen Stevens important. Jen Stevens important. Yeah, I know the trip you're talking about. We did not get to pick something up to a certain value. Oh. We were given like a, a 15% discount in a Chanel store in London. Oh. We were told in advance we were getting it. I had some savings. I had a birthday coming up in about five months. So I asked, I don't know if Mick and I were married, but I asked my Mick for my birthday money. And then I went to my mother and asked her for some birthday money. <laughs> and I pulled all the money to buy myself a set of pearls, which makes me seem... Less important now, and it was just my money with a very tiny discount. It wasn't even your money, it was your birthday money it from was, your mom. It was, and my savings, like it was literally oh, yeah, yeah, and savings. savings and two birthday monies together and a tiny discount, which makes, I mean, I should have just stuck with your story is better, but. My story is happened. better. Do you still wear them? I have worn them once. Oh. Well, they're in you'll a box. them forever. Other, yeah, no, there's a lot, there's some stuff in my house, which is forever stuff, which is pointless and was probably a waste of money, but you know. I think everybody has forever stuff that's pointless and maybe a waste of money though. Yeah. But I you f- still kind of love. Also, I feel like whenever you're offered a discount in Chanel, you should just go and buy something iconic, which is what I did. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but I'm glad that made you think that I was important. That's a really important life lesson for everyone. If ever you're offered a discount in Chanel, buy something timeless. These are the important messages I'm going to pass on yeah. to my daughter. <laughs> Tell me about um, your career in media, because so up until now, kind of the last thing or the last job, like full time that you Mm -hmm. had was editor of Irish Country magazine. Mm -hmm. But what was the journey like up until then? So I have been a journalist for almost 20 years because I am very aged. Of those 20 years, I have been a magazine editor for 15. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's annoying. (laughs) Sorry. I was annoying at the time. So I did a degree in journalism in Griffith College because I didn't do very well in my leaving search. I thought I was first of all going to be an actress, which didn't pan out. Then, as you can hear from my speech impediment, then I uh, did very badly in my leaving search. And I think I got into like cultural studies in Terman Fecken or something. 
<laughs> which would have qualified me to be a dancer in Bunratty Castle. And my dad didn't want me to do that. Surprisingly, he came home with a tiny piece of newspaper cut out one day and said, I think you should do, I'll pay for you to do this course. Um, You've always liked making stuff up, which was his definition of being a journalist, obviously. I mean, I would just like to point out now, before we go any further, no offence to anyone who has gone to Griffith College or is a dancer in Bunratty Castle. (laughs) Just to be clear, we're not, well, Jen might be, but I'm not shading you. Those are perfectly valid life choices. No, and actually, now that I look back, I I would have given anything to be a dancer in Bunratty Castle because (laughs) it would have been a lovely life. But it would have been a short-lived career. Why? Because female dancers don't get to be female dancers for that long. Well, actually, I... You fuck your knee and then you put on weight and then you're fucked. No, it's true. And I I did ballet for very many years and I do have very bad knees and very bad toes as a result. So I went to Griffith and this is a fun fact. Rosie McMeal, who up until very recently was the editor of Image, was in my class. So two of Ireland's magazine editors were in the same class. We came up together. When I finished college, I applied... No, I got a temp job in a company called PostGem, which um, was an on-post company that had a website and nobody knew anything about websites Mm. at the time. And it makes me sound very old. It's not that long ago. And I was doing sort of data entry, which I was really bad at. And I did incorrectly. And I most definitely messed up a lot of on-post files, like definitely. (laughs) But I had heard somewhere in the kitchen or something that they had this website and they were trying to figure out a way of putting like articles onto it. So I was 21, I think, and really just stupid. And I just went into a woman who I thought might be in charge of the website. She was the CEO of the company, which I did not realise. And I said, hey, I think you're trying to get articles onto like a website or something. And I can do that because I'm a journalist. And she was like, are you though? And then she said, what do, what do you do here? And I said, oh, I'm a temp. I'm doing like some stupid data entry thing. And she was just looking at me like, what is wrong with you? You're speaking to a CEO. But but told me I could have the job. And I went and joined the web dev, which is what they were called at the time, the web dev team who were deadly. And I had a brilliant time. Ended up being like the editor of Ireland Online, which was one of the first portals in the country. Mm. Then that got bought out and became part of oceanfree.net, which was a lot of people's first email address. You're ringing all the retro bells now. Yeah, and I became kind of, I think it was deputy commissioning editor of that. And then it got all bought by Dennis O'Brien and ESAT. And at some stage or another, I was the commissioning editor of oceanfree.net and Ireland Online. And I was like 22. And then they were offering voluntary redundancy, which sounded like free money. And I thought, amazing, free money. And so I applied for it and they gave it to me and I got this free money. And I had always wanted to work in magazines. And I said, okay, I'm going to go work in magazines now. But I had been paid what I thought was an astronomical amount of money there, something like 24,000. Mm-hmm. I can't remember if it was pounds or I think euros. that's like 125 in today. Yeah, I, I mean, grand a year. I worked there as... Um, punts became euro and our money just seemed to double overnight and it was like <laughs> this amazing time I can't remember if that was like punts or euro the 24,000 but anyway I went and got a very no I did some work experience first for free which I think is a, I know it's a terrible dirty word now but it was absolutely vital for me because although mm. I've been working as a journalist and as a like a lofty title of commissioning editor I didn't know what I was doing in terms of print so I did a little bit of free work experience and then I got my first job for nine grand so I had taken quite the pay cut. I mean, the working for free thing is interesting because I think like when we think about the privilege or the at least geographical privilege and also financial privilege you have to have to be able to work for free. Yeah. It kind of explains why Ireland's media landscape is so white and middle class. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But I mean... No, I didn't work for a very prolonged period of time for free. Yeah. It wasn't like it is now where interns are there for six months or a year. Yeah. I did. I think I did two, three or four week stints in places. Okay. A friend of mine did nine months. Yeah. And it was when they were doing Job Bridge. And she now, I think kind of two years later, three years later, maybe can't... Something like can't get the dole or can't get some benefit because she hasn't paid enough stamps, essentially, because she was yeah. on Job Bridge. Yeah. And it's such a weird and awful catch-22 that she's like, well, I did what you wanted me to do, what you were saying mm-hmm. when you wanted us to get back into work. Yeah. And now you're punishing me for it. Anyway, sorry, do go on. Anyway, so I did that. I got this job for nine grand. So I started working for a company called Difflin, which don't exist now, but exist as 256 Media. Oh, yes. What titles did they have at the time? Did they so have prudence I, at the time? I started as a editorial assistant and I worked on House and Home magazine and on Confetti. It was Confetti was being launched. So I worked on the like the very first issue of that. And I was super excited. Couldn't believe my luck. 
loved it, absolutely adored it. But I was in a hurry and I saw a job being advertised in U Magazine. All the jobs, I think, were being advertised in U Magazine. The team, all the team who happened to leave and all the jobs were advertised. And I was like, oh my God, I would absolutely love to work in U Magazine. It was part of Smurfit Publications at the time and I just thought it would be amazing. And I went in and interviewed and did not get it, did not get any of the jobs at all. And about two weeks later, I got a phone call saying, could you come back in? There's another job that we think you might be good for. And it was deputy editor, which I was like, what? Of Woman's Way. I said, sure, I'll come in, I'll come in. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. Went in, got that job and had my foot in the door of Smurfist, which was just everything I had ever wanted. And working on Woman's Way, I mean, was the best training ever it's Mm. weekly it's all of womankind reads Mm. it and writes in and has an opinion so you like it was just I did everything I shot covers I um, read people's wills that got sent in I answered questions why do people's wills get sent in listen some of it was I mean you know it was how many years ago is it like 16 17 years ago it was a a different time in that People weren't Googling stuff all the time. And if you were elderly and you bought Woman's Way or the RT Guide every week, these were people you felt you knew. Mm. And so they often, like, women sent in a medical reports and was like, what does this mean? Like, and you'd have to write back and say, how did you get this? You shouldn't have got this without going to your doctor. You need to bring yeah. it to your doctor. Like, really trying to God. explain. And wills got sent in. Like, everything got I remember sent doing in. work, exper- not work experience, but doing cover for Tatler for a couple of weeks. And the the women's way team were still at that point. That was probably eight years ago. Were still getting um, like mass cards and rosary oh, yeah, beads from yeah, women. Yeah, and miraculous medals. Just say, yeah, just to say they were thinking of them. Yeah, or if you had written something that they were really unhappy with, you know, or thought you would like go to hell for, you would get a medal. Yeah. Oh. Mm. Mm. Oh, when I worked at the Irish Times, if you wrote something they disagreed with, you did not get a medal. You just got a really... No, like a miraculous medal. Oh, like no, no, I know. But like you needed to rub for God the genie <laughs> to appear from and grant you your wishes. I mean, it was... But like, I didn't get anything. I used to just get like angrily handwritten letters. And you always knew when a letter was handwritten that they were angry. Ah, yeah. Because taking the time to sit down. Yeah. Yeah, so Woman's Way. Yeah, that was... Woman's Way was brilliant. What titles were in Smurfit at that point? So Smurfit was Woman's Way, Irish Tatler, You Magazine, Food and Wine... Tatler Man, um, was that around then or was that Tatler like Man later? didn't exist, okay. no. And then their website was called Ivenus.com. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. I remember. It used to be great for competitions. It, yes, A lot it of did. competitions on Ivenus. Never won a thing. It was brilliant. It was a brilliant place to work. It was like full of great characters. It was really entertaining. When I was on Woman's Way, it was just before kind of the boom. And it was you know, produced in a very old school way. You got all of your images on a slide which were called trannies so you got sent in trannies like transparencies is yeah basically for, yeah. yeah um and every page had an envelope so you put in a piece of paper that explained where the designer could find the words that you'd written your tranny your two trannies went into the envelope it was all done like that you filed your envelope into a, a, a folder on a desk oh and then gosh. the designer would come and pick up a job and do yeah, it yeah print very pa- different now it's all done by robot yeah. of course <laughs> to print or press pass a, a you know a magazine you used to have to go out to Smurfit printing in Glasnevin which I think is 154 bed houses now <sighs> um and actually watch the magazine go by on the printers yeah, it was yeah. really I mean it was a different time you also had to collect all the trannies and send them back to the PR people which was the worst job ever because you'd always lose a couple of trannies along the way can I say tranny again it seems a lot of trannies in that sentence I mean yeah like I, I think it's in this context fine I mean um, people don't use it in your everyday not speech, in your everyday but. yeah so I was on Women's Way for a little while when the job of editor of Irish Chatter came up which was a reach for me but something that I really wanted I was very ambitious and I think I had the kind of sort of cocky stupidity of a 25 year old, you know, so mm. I decided to go for it. And I was given an interview, which I was very excited about. Smurfit had been taken over at that stage by Nora Casey. And I, for that interview, I probably worked harder for that interview than I've worked in any job even that I've ever had. <laughs> I had the most amazing presentation, mock magazine, like I had the works. I just really, really did it. 
I really wanted to get it and I really did it. It sounds like 13 going on 30, you know, and she's like, I have this great idea. And she comes up with this terrible magazine cover. <laughs> Sorry, go on. I'm sure it was really good, though. I mean, look, I don't know if it was really good, but I really it was clear how much I wanted it. Yeah, and I had put a lot, lot of work, work you put into in. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I got the job, bizarrely. And when Nora told me I got the job, she told me, you know, I gave you a courtesy interview because you work here already. So I thought you should have an interview. But like I was being polite, giving you one. She said it just goes to show like the value of a really good interview, a really good presentation. Like you really impressed everybody and we're going to give you the job. Now, I don't think I had thought far enough beyond actually getting the job because I was floored. I didn't like I couldn't breathe for about eight months. Like it was <laughs> terrifying. I was terrified. I was barely 26 and I was the editor of Irish Chatter. And like to say I was in over my head is you know just such a massive understatement but listen the boom coincided with getting the job and I took advantage of it (laughs) and had a ball and what was I mean so I know you mentioned you went from nine grand yeah you don't have to tell like tell me specifically what the wages were like but like what was the money like in media back then like was it good when it was the boom or was it still a bit shit no I mean magazines were never amazing money Mm. ever I can't remember exactly what was on in Irish Chatler, but like, God, I'd say, uh, I'm trying to think, um, from, I left from Irish Chatler, like Irish Chatler was the dream job and I was in it two years when I got a phone call from a man in the Evening Herald, would I come and meet them? And I went and met them and they offered me a job and they offered me a newspaper salary Mm. and you could have knocked me down with a feather. Like it was probably close to double the money. So yeah. You know, maybe, maybe I was, maybe the editor of Irish Chatler, maybe I was on like 32 grand or something, you know, like it was, mm. it can't have been a huge amount of money. Yeah. But, you know, I was really young. All of my socialising was free because it was all to do with work. Yeah. And you um, were probably getting really good freebies as well. I mean, the freebies were good, but they weren't anything like the freebies that you see going around now. They, well, they were like, like around influencer world now or even media like it just it wasn't it just wasn't the same like it was mm. you weren't like well there wasn't as much I mean and I think as well a lot of UK companies hadn't really started reaching out to Ireland because that kind of was starting when I was at the Times where there was a lot of Irish PR companies who repped UK brands yeah. and stuff but it was only in the last like within the last 10 years I think that mm. brands like NARS started coming over and having meetings and giving you like 120 quids worth of pallets in a goodie bag. You yeah, know like, what I mean, that's not that old. That that's a couple happen. of the companies, like Chanel used to always come, but like that was a huge thing. Like you wouldn't have had very many more. Like L'Oreal Luxury, which looked after Lancome and Armani had a, a base here and a marketing person here who was lovely. But it just wasn't the same at all as it is now. Mm. But look, you know, there were really cool parties. I, you know, my dinner would almost always like you know cocktail sausages somewhere you all partied is what you're trying to say we went out all the time yeah have you read um the vanity fair diaries yeah it's amazing like what's her name i'm having a total blank about her name oh um anyway it doesn't matter it's uh, the former editor of the vanity fair who was was editor of vanity fair for years whose name i know but cannot now remember i'll put it in the show notes but in this book where she's writing essays it's Mm. no sorry it's excerpts from her diary her diary at the time yeah and they were paying like 12 grand for a feature. Now, like some of their features were taking three months because it was like, oh, we, we've commissioned this feature from Hunter S. Thompson, who's going to travel across America. I mean, I know, but whenever grand. you look at Carrie Bradshaw and you think, oh, I know. you know, whatever she was getting paid per word when she, you know, got the job in Vogue, like freelance work in Vogue. The state is always being a beast of its own. London, working in magazines in London was always a different thing. Yeah. In Ireland, you were like, Irish Chatler was a really fancy, glossy magazine and there were three of us. Yeah. Yeah. So and there are still only three, three on our mag- show. Yeah, they're like four. yeah, a couple of people. Like yeah. it's not like the UK or the US at all. We used doing- to yeah, we used to talk about that when I worked at Stellar. We'd, we'd open up a copy of L and like bitterly read out the names of everybody who worked on it. But also, they'd be like they have this person, they have this person. Oh my god, they have somebody who does this. They would be so bored. Your job is like a page or half a page a month that you look after. I don't know, like as somebody who's decided she doesn't really like working that much, I don't think I'd be bored. I think I'd be delighted. <laughs> I feel like this is great. Yeah, fair enough. So sorry, so you went to the Herald then and like, 
So then I went to the Herald as an assistant news editor. So I used to have to be at my desk at 5.20 a.m. because the Herald at the time was the Evening Herald. So it came oh, out at one yes, o'clock. Okay. So you would go oh. to work very early. You, I'd be at my desk at 5.20 and somebody would inevitably be shouting at me by 5.45. So you love that. I did and I didn't. But I didn't stay that long. People often think that magazine, women's magazines are a toxic place to work. But they're not. And loads of my really good friends, some of my best friends are women that I met working in magazines. Oh, it's found it to be a really lovely, collaborative, supportive place to work. Did not find the same in a male dominated, dominated, crime driven. Yeah, you know what? Newspaper. It's really interesting. I was having a conversation with somebody recently or I was I was eavesdropping probably at work and somebody was talking about female bosses and you know this kind of trope of like oh women can be like terrible bosses they can be yeah. bitches or whatever. And they were like why you know like why is it that that women are not great at helping other women or there's something and I kind of said well if you think about it if you're working in a male dominated industry mm-hmm. It looks to you like if there's going to be a woman in the higher echelons, there's only going to be one. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That you know they're not yeah. going to suddenly let five women yeah. be on the board, like, and one man. So if, if you're succeeding in a male-dominated industry, you're conditioned and you are correct to think that there isn't space for a whole mm-hmm. lot of women up at the top. Yeah. So you have to be competitive. Whereas I found that the same in, in magazines, in, in women's magazines specifically, where there were nearly all women mm-hmm. working together and for each other and, you know, there were women who were in charge and there were women who were at the very bottom. Yeah. It was such a kind mm-hmm. and thoughtful and supportive environment. And obviously you get the odd person you don't get on with. And that's yeah, life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like it was such a different because, I mean, I've I've done some shifts at the star as well. And mm-hmm. like I worked at the Times for years, but there was something so. And I mean, like, like I've worked in retail as well, but it's kind of different. There was something in, in women's magazines when you're writing about and thinking about and talking to women all day long mm-hmm. and you're writing for women yeah it's such a different and special place yeah I mean look to you're work. inevitably there's going to be people along the way that you don't get on with because people have personalities you're human, and, yeah. yeah you're human in newspapers as well you know I just think you know people can be lovely and people can be pricks yeah and yeah. you know that's just the way it goes I don't know if it's necessarily because a the paper was made like there were loads of women working there but mm. it's it was a very old it's different now I know it's different in there now it was a very old school environment at mm-hmm. the time it hadn't moved forward yet and it is a it was a stressy kind of situation because everybody's there at a really weird like you're having your lunch at nine o'clock and you're finished your day and in yeah. the pub at like one and everyone was in the pub so there was you know it was a real it was a real old school newspaper yeah. thing going yeah. on Tina Brown is the woman from Vanity yes <laughs> You are correct. My brain is just working (laughs) in the background. So I stayed, I was there about 10 months in the Herald. I decided to leave and go freelance, which I did. Turns out going freelance for me is just planning elaborate meals to cook. (laughs) Wasn't great for me. I went in and met Richard Hannaford, who was, he sadly passed away now. He was Nora's husband and he was the editorial director at that stage. They had, she had bought the company and they were Harmonia now. And they wanted to take You Magazine, which I had interviewed for all those years ago, not gotten. They wanted to take that from a monthly magazine to a fortnightly magazine, which having just come from 10 months of daily writing and editing was easy. Yeah. And I said, yeah, I would do that, but I would just do it on a contract basis. I absolutely wasn't coming back full time. And I stayed there seven years. (laughs) And were you on a contract the whole time? No, after a certain amount of time, Richard said, what are you doing on a contract? I was like, well, I was, I'm not staying. He's like, are you sure you're not staying? I was like, mm, okay, yeah, I'll stay for a while. Um, so I went back full time, but I ended up staying for seven years, which is the longest I had stayed in any job ever. But I loved it. It was the best job I had. It was the best girls. It was the best team. Over the course of working in UMAG, some of my team was Sean O'Halloran, who went on to become the editor of Irish Chatler. Martha Connolly, who went on to become the editor of VIP. Mm-hmm. Faye McGillicuddy, who is the fashion journalist and now uh, works in Hunter PR. Ashlyn Keenan, who everyone knows from online stuff. Lorna McGinn, who's now the social media director of a big digital marketing company. Like, I had the best people over the course of that. Um, Denise, who now works in Google. Like, brilliant people, amazing mm. people. The best team ever. We had O'Neill Ryan, who is still the sales director in Harmonia and is the best crack in the whole world. Like it was the best team. We had the best time. It was so, so much fun. It was 
before the internet ruined celebrity gossip forever. So we could write stuff. Oh yeah, of course. And it was still news. Yeah. yeah. We had amazing, we had hilarious covers like with featuring like when Ronan Keating had his bit of marriage difficult. Like we had oh, amazing, yeah, yeah, yeah. like we had some brilliant celebrity stories and stuff to write about. And it was the crack. And then there came a point where I realised seven years was a long time and in In media, I should specify, because like that's something that I've found really hard coming out of media to see friends of mine who are nurses or teachers or, mm-hmm. you know, quote unquote normal jobs. I mean, media is a normal job, but like I'm always asking. So a friend of mine's a teacher and she's been teaching at this school since she qualified. Yeah, basically. Yeah. And I'm always kind of going, would you move to another school? And she's like, no, why would I do that? And I'm just like, how are you not boring? Are you yeah, mind? you've been there for eight years. And obviously it's like, that's different because it's different kids and it's different things every day. And But I just like, because media, it's so normal that you would be somewhere for two or three or four. And, and I mean, you know what? Like in media, there are people who've been places for 25 years as well in papers more specifically. Well, I mean, papers are different. I think when you're in a magazine, everything is cyclical and you end up writing the same story. Yeah. And maybe every three years. Mm. You know, a trend will come and you'll be like, oh my God, like florals for spring, groundbreaking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I've been here too long. You will start to eye roll at yourself and it will be time to move on. And also if you're always like I think a good editor as well, you have to know when it's time when you're slightly bored and you're not giving the best to the audience that are buying the publication or you've aged out of the market, which is definitely a thing. Was that something you felt? I don't know if I felt that I had aged out of the market, but I probably had got to the point where I had given it all I could give it. Mm-hmm. It had been a really exciting time. I had completely changed it, completely changed the magazine. It had been like a kind of a, you know, your a, a women's monthly magazine and it changed into this kind of fortnightly, fun, irreverent, more celebrity focused thing. Mm-hmm. I could probably see the tide changing in terms of how the internet was affecting the stories that mm-hmm. we were writing. And I wasn't sure how to deal with that without completely changing it again. And I thought if someone's going to completely change it again, it should be someone new. Yeah, I get you. Not me. But like, like maybe it needs a fresh pair of eyes. Like to I've, do I different. already changed it once into something mm. brilliant. You know, it, it was the top selling magazine years and years and years in a row. Like it was, it had done amazingly well, but I thought it was probably time to change it. And then it should be someone else to do that. Yeah. And it should be, I, I should have gone. So I did. And I went to Irish Country Magazine, which is produced by the Farmer's Journal. And it was a whole new prospect. It was back to monthly it was, it, it is a very Irish supportive magazine, mm-hmm. um, which I absolutely loved. I created when I was there, like the Irish Maid Awards and it just really... The Irish what awards? Irish Maid. Oh, so. I thought you meant MAID for a second. No. And I was like, what? What's an Irish Maid? Supporting <laughs> the women who clean up in Ireland. Yeah, I was like, oh. No, it's nice. producers and craftspeople and designers. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And, I, and I mean, like, I was, I have been aware of the Irish Maid Awards. I don't know why, why my brain went there. Um... Like just such a lovely supportive magazine mm. and um, we did some amazing covers and just got to do Celia Homan Lee was one of my biggest selling covers like she and she's so cool and so amazing mm. like and women love her. I did Olivia Tracy came home from California to do a cover like just brilliant things that were slightly different and I was really excited by again. And I hadn't been shooting a lot. Oh, like, for you, yeah, because it was less. Yeah, yeah. Photographically, not like gun. And um, uh-huh. for you, Mag. So yeah, no, it was. What really... was your What was your favorite cover when you were in when you were in Irish Adler? or uh, sorry, Irish, Irish Country, Country Magazine? Yeah. Um, I mean, my first one was um, Roz Purcell up the Dublin Mountains, um, with her hair really curly, looking like such a wild collie. It was brilliant. It I was loved beautiful. It. Yeah, we shot Faye Dinsmore on Hornhead in Donegal. And in a magical forest where she just looked like this pixie queen. It was just in Aaron. It was, I mean, it was amazing. Olivia Tracy coming home. And Olivia Tracy is the coolest woman ever. She was brilliant. I loved shooting. We had Celia Home and Lee in a rowboat boat in, on a lake in Tipperary, which was brilliant. We did the first Irish-American one. We shot Sarah Rafferty from Suits in mm-hmm. Toronto, which was a pretty cool thing to go and do. Yeah. I mean, I loved them all. We had... Like, it was brilliant. It was just... Everyone, every cover, like we did loads of first covers as well. We had Maureen O'Connell on her first cover. Like just it was Maureen O'Connell, the hardest working woman in Ireland. The hard and like the most crack. She is the She's most so crack. Fun, but I free, like I honestly sometimes I see her because she presents a radio show and she presents the six o'clock show yeah. on TV3, a Virgin Media one. Yeah, I think they finish like an hour apart as well. Like it's every really... single fucking day. Yeah, no, she's brilliant. And I just don't understand how she's still upright. Yeah. 
Like the concept of it. Yeah. If no. somebody said to me, "Can you do like Myrna Collins' job for two weeks?" I'd be like, "Absolutely not. Not enough money in the world. I would die uh, of like stress." I know. Yeah. She's, she's amazing. She's so cool. Her mom is really cool. Her brother is incredibly hot. If anyone, I think, um, I think he's googled a lot now. <laughs> Why have you mentioned this before? Uh, we wrote about him in the piece, but she only said a couple of weeks ago that her brother is like I can't I can't remember how she knows, but it's a massive Google search now. He is really hot. What age is he? He's a single. Um, I can't give you any of these details, but um, okay, you can Google him. I can just add. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. To the high, high Google number search yeah. from Myrna Collins' um, Yeah, so that was uh, Irish Country Mag. Brilliant, amazing job. I won Editor of the Year when I was there, which had eluded me for 14 years. Oh, uh, that's kind of annoying. <laughs> you feel like, I mean, you feel like as well in Irish media sometimes... Would you not just give it, you know what I mean? Like everybody should get a go. Yeah, but maybe that was my go. So don't take that away from me. Oh yeah, me. sorry. But at the same time, so you were at Irish Country Magazine. Mm-hmm. You were shooting all these covers. You were traveling around. But there was also something else, like from the personal point of view, you were trying to have a baby. Oh yeah, sorry. I was like, <laughs> like what was I doing? <laughs> I was looking at you like, where is this going? Um, I was trying to have a baby. Yes, I was trying to have a baby. Hmm. Um. I had been trying to have a baby when I was in you as well. Oh, really? I always think trying to have a baby is like such a funny phrase because I think everybody knows what I mean. Yeah, but I mean... (laughs) It wasn't going well, reader, listener. (laughs) But you know, like if I say to my friend, so like, are you trying to have a baby? Yeah. Also, what I'm saying is, are you having having a lot of sex? (laughs) You're doing it all the time. Or maybe not, or maybe not, maybe are you just doing it like every second day for like six days and then not at all for, you know, I thought it had to be every day, like for, like somebody tell me that for doctors to believe that you're really trying, it has to be every day. Uh, Doctors don't want it to be every day because the poor sperm needs some recoup time. So. The poor sperm, rolling my eyes, the poor sperm. Every second day or third day is better. Um, So how long had you been trying to conceive for? So, um. I'm trying to think of the right way to say this, trying to conceive. I was pregnant four times before I had this baby. So we suffered uh, multiple pregnancy loss. So four miscarriages in just over four years. Um, okay. And it's okay. You don't have to say it like that. No, okay. but I mean, just like that's that's so difficult. That's such a difficult thing to go through in such a short space of time. Um, yeah, and no. And to go through it over and over again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, not great at all. And probably some of the reason that I stayed at you maybe slightly longer than I had been initially planning because you keep thinking you're going to be pregnant and... Oh, of course. Yeah. Of course, yeah. Um, and then I took the leap and left anyway. I actually think I only had one miscarriage when I was working in you. I think the rest of them were... Anyway, so multiple pregnancy loss, which is difficult. And mm. I hadn't, most people didn't know. So it was usually going on at work without people knowing. Mm. I told my team about the last two because they were very hard ones. I was hospitalized twice. 
and I had to keep going back in. One of them was a particularly difficult situation where my hormone levels weren't dropping and I had to go back in constantly for blood tests. They wouldn't discharge me fully until your hormones have dropped back down. So I had to tell them something, you know, they knew something was going on and eventually I just had to say, look, this is what's happening. It's a really difficult situation. I'm sorry to burden you with the information, but mm. um, you're just going to have to give me a little bit of a dig out here. I yeah. can't. I can't just hide it and do it all. Yeah. And they were brilliant about it. They were amazing. That's what was going on for about just over four years. And then in September 2017, at the National Ploughing Championships, I realised I was pregnant. At the ploughing. <laughs> Did you be like, were you suddenly standing there going, I haven't had my period? I was thinking, I was like, I did I have my period? Something happened. Did I? Um, hmm. And it didn't really carry on. And on the way home, Stopped off and bought a pregnancy test and went home and was like, oh, no, I am. I'm pregnant. Oh, right, God. And then immediately just was thinking, oh, I wonder how long this will go on. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to ask. That Like, what's it like then being pregnant after a multiple pregnancy loss? Like, do you spend the entire nine to ten months in a state of... Yeah, I don't want to say fear, but kind of waiting for it to be over. You know, oh no, it's fear. It's it's absolutely fear. The longer that the pregnancy was dicking around, the more fearful I became. I can't speak for him, but I think it was the same. But the more fearful we became, until I think our consultant, I can't remember how many weeks we were. We were maybe fifteen or sixteen weeks, and she was like, "Guys." This, you're just like everyone else now. This is fine. You're fine. At what stage had you experienced the pregnancy losses before? They were similar stages. So between like seven and 11 weeks. Um, okay. But then like a couple of them with the hormones and stuff, the hospital visits and stuff would carry on till maybe 15 or 16 weeks. Anyway, okay. you know, so but you, you but we knew where we were. At which we point you was, knew it was Oh, over, we knew it was already over. Yeah, yeah, but you were just still you just couldn't get out of the hospital. It was just so annoying. Like it Grim, was annoying. Yeah. Then you're like, I just need this to be done so that yeah, I can yeah, move yeah. on again. Yeah, it's terrifying. It's it's really difficult. Like she had to have a word with us and say, and we knew her really well. We had been seeing her. There's a miscarriage clinic in the Rotunda and we had been attending her in the miscarriage clinic and she had been with us for one of them for the last miscarriage. And so we were on this pregnancy just back with her in the miscarriage clinic. And then there came a point where she was like, do you do you want to come and see me in my private rooms? Which made me think, oh my God, I think this is going to be okay. She's never suggested this before. And we did. We went. We started going to see her in her own rooms. And then she had to have a word with us at about 16 weeks, I think, going, listen, it's fine. You're going mm. to be fine. It's okay. It's going to be okay. And did you believe her? Ah, no, not at all. Absolutely not. Um, I think I was fine. Not fine, but I think I was better. I think I thought it was all going to be okay at about 24 weeks. I think I, I also I think I had read something that was like they can keep them alive. Mm. If anything happens now, they can keep yeah, it yeah. alive. So I think, yeah, from probably about then I started to relax a little bit. And then we found out the gender as well. So once that happened, I was like, oh, no, I. And I gave I gave her a name then and I just was like, no, this is fine. I, this is she's I, real she, now. I ha- yeah. I know who she is. It's absolutely fine. She's definitely coming. Yeah, she's definitely coming. I wrote her name down over and over again. I have pads and pads of just her name written out over and over. And I was like, I can see her. I can see her. She's coming. She's, I know she's coming. It's Do you fine. think someday, like when she's 18 or 19, she'll find these and be like, my mom's a psychopath. She's been writing my name. Like, she, you know, she won't know when you did it. She'll be like, oh, my God, when did mom scribble my name over Listen, and over and over? And she has notebooks. an email address that I keep sending her emails to. So she will already know that her How mom cute. is a psychopath. Do you send her emails like, I think that's a really cute idea. But do you ever send her emails when you're like, you were a dickhead yesterday and I didn't sleep at all? No. Or are they all nice? No, they're, I mean, they're main, they're mainly only videos of her. <laughs> they're, they're mainly just videos like, oh, this is you and your dad. This is the first day you were laughing and this is you laughing oh. at your dad. Like, they're very yeah, yeah. sweet, but like, it's sort of like a Richard Curtis film. I know I'm going to be dead and she'll be crying reading these or something like that. I can see Donald Gleason playing somebody in this awful film. <laughs> It'd be too old. <laughs> No, he'll be her dad or something. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, fair. Yeah, it'll be like a female version of About Time or something. Where you keep I flashing really back to me. I really enjoyed that film. Yeah, you keep flashing back to me going, this is you laughing with your daddy. <laughs> and Hugh so, Grant will be in it somewhere for sure. So I know everybody says, right, that you can never be prepared for the arrival of, you know, like no matter what you read or no matter what uh-huh. you, 
Do you feel that in any way, like, were you still shocked when she arrived and you were like, oh my God, what the fuck do I do with this baby? Or had, because you'd been trying for so long and you'd had like those Mm -hmm. pregnancy losses, did that in any way prepare you more or were you still like, fuck? Um, your first baby is a shit show. Like it is very hard. I have been around babies and kids like I was an au pair I was like I've done low I have there's 11 nieces and nephews on mixed side there's nine on my side oh. like I was a professional babysitter from God, the I age of four 14. and I still forget all their birthdays no I was a professional babysitter from about 14 like I am a pro professional babysitter oh. from 14 you were a child listen it's mad to think about it now would you let a 14 year old mind your baby no nah, it depends on the 14 year old like I was I think really... you wanted to be 17 at least <sighs> Listen, they used to, drunk men used to give me a pat in the arse and put me in taxis home. Mm. Like, it's fine. You're lucky, drunk men used to drive me home. Listen, and like, give me 10 or 20 pounds, which I thought was a fortune. 15 year olds are getting 50 quid a night now. I used to get 50 euro a night from my rich neighbours. They had a a tennis court. Kildare is very fancy. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm very good with babies. You know, I can change a nappy, I can swaddle, I can put them to sleep, I can do all that. I mean, it's the lack of sleep. Yeah. That will drive you to the edge of reason. I mean, nothing can prepare you for that. I was literally just talking about, like, this is not the same. But I was chatting to people because this morning when we're recording this, Darkness Into Light happened Mm. this morning where people get up at an ungodly hour and uh, walk from Darkness Into Light um, in Ada Pieta House, which is an incredible cause. Great, Mm -hmm. right? But people people kept asking me would I do it, and I was like, I have I'm mentally ill already. Like I'm not adding getting up at four a.m. I cannot cope with getting up at four a.m. I got up at four a.m. last week for the airport and it ruined my entire like one day. I flew over and back to London in one day, and literally for the rest of the week I was like, what day is it? What time is it, is it time to get up? I was ruined, and I was so depressed. Like I was really really down for the whole week because I was just so tired. You don't have a kid. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so it's not at all like that, but I believe you when you say the sleeplessness is what um, may, does it for you. May woke every two hours until I think eighteen weeks. Oh God! Yeah, now, you're, I mean you're in a daze. You are in a daze. I mean the one like the one good thing for me is this isn't about me. But if it was about me, the one good thing for me would be I fall asleep really really quickly. So like I can fall asleep within about five minutes. No, I mean, yeah, that's not great, though, because I you're still awake feeding for 45 minutes. Like I fell asleep a couple of times with her feeding on my breast and then would wake in a jump and it would be like an hour and 50 minutes later and realize that the baby was still like face down on my boob, which is not, you know, the baby is fine, everyone, Um, (laughs) which is, you know, not the greatest thing in the world. But you're Mm. so tired. You're so sleep deprived. You're so tired. And breastfeeding for me was um, relatively easy. So I would just clamp her on and then off and just nod off and then wake up a few minutes like, okay, you're fine. You're fine. You're fine. You're feeding. You're fine. Stop sleeping on the job. You're fine. You're feeding. You're fine. Yeah. But like it was about every two hours for about 18 weeks. So like full on. Yeah. And, and, I, and I, like, I think when you say that, people and I forget that it's not that you wake up for two minutes and then go back to sleep for two hours. It's no, that you wake up, no, feed no. for 45 yeah, minutes, yeah, then yeah. you might get an hour of sleep, if even. And 45 minutes and sleep. And that is and then if you again. fall back asleep easily. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Some people don't. And so there's yeah. not much sleep happening at all. And so that was about 18 weeks. And then if you think like people have some money, your social welfare money lasts for 24 weeks, but you finish work two weeks before that. So the baby is 22 weeks when a lot of people have to go back to work, which mm-hmm. is inhumane. Yeah, my sister went back to work. I think I've probably mentioned this. The That's in America. Before. I know four weeks after. That is crazy. I know. And she had a meeting in her house something like three days after her son was born. Like the team came over to discuss something important. I would, I would honestly... I mean, red mist, I'd murder them all. If you're a freelancer and there are loads of freelancers, like they all go back to work really quickly. I know loads of Irish freelancers that go back to work really quickly. And I know you have to. Yeah. And I know you're working from home and stuff. You can be in your pajamas or whatever, which is what I'm doing most of the time now. But at that early stage, it's very difficult and you Mm. really are very tired unless you have like a nanny that comes in. Like um, my mom is older, so she wouldn't be coming down to the house to, Mm. you know, like and also I don't really want them to be doing like the grandparents to be doing that. But unless you have like a brilliant mom who comes in every day and lets you have a nap or lets you have a shower, like definitely there were days where I was showering at like four o'clock. Yeah. If I could even manage to get myself around to doing that, you know, like it's it is it's very hard. And those are things that I kind of try or have tried to say to my friends as well, that I'm like, if you want me to come and hold the baby for an hour and a half while you like take a shit and have a shower, Mm -hmm. 
Like I will do that. And that's something that I think we don't really think. Like often we'll go, I'll come and visit you. Yeah. It's like, I'll come visit you. Like when suits, I'll come over for coffee instead of being like, here, what are you doing tomorrow? I'm going to come over. For no, I always like, arrive. I arrive with two dinners from Marks and Spencer's or Avoca. That, that, you know, that are easily, that require, yeah, but listen, that requires just putting yeah, yeah, into yeah. it, you yeah. know, warming up, nothing that requires extra prep. Yeah, yeah. And I'll say, do you need a shower? And I won't, I don't even, like, I think what you're doing is lovely. I don't even offer to you that when I turn up, I just take the baby, baby. and say, do you need to have a shower or do you need to have a lie down and go and I wonder do that? if they're now. like, Jen's so weird, she just always walks in and takes the baby. <laughs> I mean, I no, think, no, I, I, know, no, I, I think know. possibly, but you know what, for me, when people arrived and did that, I would go, actually, yeah, I could really just do with like even washing my hair, having yeah. a shower that was more than like two minutes long, yeah. like listening for a baby is amazing. So, but if people texted and offered to do it, I said, no, we're fine. Yeah, Please come course. for coffee. Yeah, and then yeah. because I'm an absolute control freak, I would have baked something, cleaned the house, had the cafetiere ready to go, you know. Yeah. Instead of sitting on the couch and going, if you want tea, make tea. But my- you do like, th- like that's very Irish as well to be like, of course yeah. I make you a cup of tea. No, 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 no. Yeah. You sit down. I'll do. You know what I mean? And so it feel awkward about somebody doing that in your own home. It is much better to have someone that barrels in. Yeah, and just forces I the mean, issue. Provided that you know them very, like I would only do it to people I know very. Oh yeah, well. same. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. And, and and I mean also by that same token. I have some friends who I think wouldn't appreciate it. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Who yeah. have like family nearby and who'd be like, I don't need you to come. You're being weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there are other people yeah. that I'm like, yeah, I'll come and, you know. And you know who the people are. Yeah. You know that need a yeah. bit of a, you figure a, it out. a dig out. Yeah. You mentioned there that you are now freelance and could sit in your pyjamas all day. Mm-hmm. You obviously made the decision not to go back to Irish Country Magazine. And when mm. did you make that decision? So I knew... Um, I knew from the beginning that I was going to take the unpaid, I mean, this is ridiculous, unpaid extra leave. So that bring you from like six months to nine months kind of roughly, to, doesn't to it? To about 11 months. Okay, okay. I was paid by my job for 14 weeks. So by the time May was three months old, my money had gone. Then you're on social welfare money and that lasts 24 weeks. I had saved and saved and saved. So I knew I had money to get me to the 10 or 11 months. I knew mm-hmm. I wasn't going to go back after six months. And then when I got to six months, I was like, Jesus Christ, how do people go back? And mm-hmm. I know loads of people do. And I know I'm coming from a position of immense privilege that I was able to take those extra unpaid months off absolutely mm. I know that people can't yeah um, but it's also really kind and important to acknowledge how difficult it is yeah really difficult to go back at six months because like, like, you're still I couldn't like, have done it I couldn't have gone not back. even that you're wrecked but like you've gone through this huge life-changing mm-hmm. physical and yeah. emotional ordeal I physically could not have left that baby at six months yeah. old I couldn't have done it she was tiny I couldn't have done it I couldn't have left her at six months old And I knew that I was never going to go back at six months. I knew Mm. it was going to be 10 or 11 months. But I was certain I was going back. Certain. Yeah. There was no, I had even stopped my, I um, put money into a joint account every month. I had only paused that and had made it. Because you're waiting to go back to work. Had made it, had put the date of restart the first date I would get my salary back Mm. when I went back to work. Like I was 100% sure I was not a stay at home mother type of person at all. My career was everything, everything. There was no, I am a magazine editor. There was nothing else mm-hmm. like that is. And like in a kind of pretty sad way, who I am, you know, like, and now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, oh my God, that's pathetic. Like who I am. But it had been for so long yeah. that it was who I was. But I think as well, when you do something that's kind of creative, it can be very hard to separate that from your sense of self and your sense of value. Mm-hmm. And so it feels very much like you as a person and ha- how you are valued and your sense of self is tied up with mm-hmm. the work that you do and the the content that you produce or, mm. you know, what you're putting out in the world. I think that's totally understandable. Yeah, and I think magazine editor is a kind of a dream job kind of thing. Mm. So people are like, oh, you know, people are always really interested and excited. It's not like, you know, saying um, I'm a financial controller, which is Mm -hmm. a brilliant job and paid way more than what I was paid. But, you know, like. Or like I'm a I'm a fund accountant. And you're like, so you just do a lot of Excel. There's um, there's a bit of glamour. Yeah, you know, like it's bullshit, but whatever. It was very much who I was. And I was sure I was going to go back to doing it. And people. I mean, everyone is like, enjoy your maternity leave, take all of your maternity leave. But like after six months, people are like, when are you going back to work? Are you going <laughs> back at work soon? When are you going back to work? And it's like, mm, no, I'm taking the extra time. Oh, good. for Are you? Good for you. Oh, good for you. And you're like, oh, do you mean good for me or do you mean, oh, my God, you're taking all that time <laughs> off work? 
And then slowly I started to realise that I hadn't, I wasn't making a huge effort in finding a crash <laughs> or a childminder. I had rung some crashes. I had hung up on some crashes. I had <laughs> looked into childminders. I had done a little bit of work, but I really wasn't putting my heart into it. And we had a come to Jesus talk at home. Um, and it came down to realising that we had spent five years waiting for her to come. And did we want to hand her over? Mm. And the way our jobs both worked, um, my job was flexible, but unpredictable. Mm -hmm. So I could be some days at work at eight o'clock in the morning and possibly able to come home at four, but maybe not. Mm -hmm. A couple of times a month, you know, maybe a little bit more than that might be in London, Paris, I would definitely have to host a couple of events during evenings and I would normally have to be at the venue at like four o'clock if they were in Dublin. They were often yeah, around the country. The country yeah. And the way Mick works, um, he the earliest he can ever leave to get home is about seven o'clock. So he would not ever and, and that's not a movable feast. He just cannot in mm -hmm. his line of work. So he would never be available for a pickup in the evening. Yeah. And we were trying to figure out a way to make it work. And it was coming down to like a full-time childminder, but that was working extra hours or a creche and a childminder. Or, I mean, and we had a dog and doggy daycare, the sense ridiculous, that we had been managing for a very long time. But when there was a tricky evening, we could leave him at home yeah. with a toy in the garden. And as far as I yeah. know, you cannot leave a baby at home with a toy in the garden. No, it's I think it had to be at least three and a half. It's like frowned upon. We couldn't figure out a way that that would work. Mm. And on a good week where nothing went wrong and I had no events and no travel, we were looking at dropping her off at eight in the morning and picking her up very close to half six. Mm. Which I know a lot of people do all of the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I... I I could I just couldn't see us doing it but also I guess a lot of people do that and they feel like they don't have a choice yeah whereas in your line of work there was a choice open to you I guess to go I could like there's always like when when you work in media there's always I could go freelance like, yeah not that it's like an easy no. choice or an easy way to make your money or that you're not gonna be chasing invoices three days a week yeah no I mean but again again it comes from a place of privilege Absolutely. There are people that have to, both parents have to go out and work in order to pay the mortgage, work full time and kill themselves, you know, work really hard to pay the mortgage. We were, you know, we I worked out what I would need to make a week in order for us to be fine. I still had a bit of money. And then what happened was I got an offer of a big project that came along just as my maternity leave was ending. I knew that that money would see me through a certain period of time. It's going to be really hard to do the project. May was still tiny, you know, try and work it. I had no childcare, try and work it all out. But I did. And that gave me the boost and the confidence to say, you know what, I, I can do I, this. I'm not going back. Yeah. And it was only when I had May that I realized that I had been, you know, keep on keeping on for five years. And it was only when she arrived that I went, I, I can feel I am back to who I was five years ago. And I think for the last four and a half, five years, I've been a shell of who I was. I know I didn't go to loads of things. I know I, I skipped out on family events. I know I I checked out a lot mm. because I was trying to keep myself going. So you're having a hard time. I had, basically. and I didn't, I don't even know if I realised, I thought I was mm. doing a really good job of just getting on with things. Yeah. And actually I probably was doing a shit job of it. And I can only see that now. Mm. And just I was like you know what I'm just gonna take a minute and step away from this and figure it all out and be with her you know she's all I wanted for five you know these last five years she's here now I'm not handing her over for like 10 hours a day I'm just gonna mm. try and do it and, and you know what freelancing with her is not easy <laughs> it's quite difficult yeah but Jesus it's brilliant you know yeah it's amazing and it's amazing not having to get up and go anywhere you know and, and hand her over but it was a, a, probably the hardest decision I've ever made and it took me months to make it and I cried a lot at the thought of giving up my job my career yeah like part of me basically 
That's an interesting turn of phrase when you said that you cried a lot at the thought of giving up your career. Mm. Do you feel as if you've given up your career? Yeah. Yeah. So what are you doing now? Because you're still working. So I'm you know working. I mean? but yeah. So I'm working. I'm freelancing. I'm. But is it just that the career that you thought you would have has I mean, kind of I, come to an end and now there's a different phase of your life? Yeah, like I, I was really ambitious. I, you know, was a really young editor, really worked my way up, worked for everything. I you know, worked in every publication I wanted to work in, got every job I wanted to get, really had built myself up. Um, all the magazines I worked for had won awards at one time or another, you know, and it was, you know, my career was everything. And yeah, I know I have. I've given up my career. I have. Now, maybe not forever. Yeah. At all. And maybe there'll be a new career. But for the time being, like I am literally doing enough now to get enough money week by week to just be fine. To live. Yeah. Yeah. I am now, you know, I'm not living to work at all. At all. But you're also not, which sounds like the first time for you, you're not working to get somewhere. You know what I mean? No, you've you've no, all along been yeah. working to get to the next level. Yeah, no, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not doing that. No, I mean, I do. I really, it's a really hard thing to say. I think I've given up my career for now. Mm. I think maybe in three years when she gets, you know, her free crash place and, you know, I think maybe I'll pick something up then and I'll probably at that stage or even maybe before that be ready to dip in and do, you know, start again do some maybe do something else maybe you know um but for now I'm I am looking after my baby and working a bit to get a bit of money yeah and I mean also like we should absolutely acknowledge and I should absolutely acknowledge somebody who is childless that you're not I mean because the way we've been talking about it a little bit is kind of you've given up your career and now you're doing like a little bit of work. Mm-hmm. But actually now your full-time job is oh, yeah. stay-at-home mom. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. that's, a re- that's a fucking full-time job and then you're doing yeah. a nixer on the side. Yeah, basically. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh yeah, and like I'm definitely working, you know, some evenings. I have, like I've worked in the evenings, I've worked on the weekends, you know, that big project that I got. I was, you know, it was full-on working mm. Saturdays and Sundays, you know, so make could spend time with her dad and I would just be working and working and working, you know, which meant that I was working late nights weekends so more than seven days mm. you know more than most people yeah, work, yeah. you know because she isn't she wouldn't be an amazing napper it'd be 40 minutes at a time so it's a full day minding yeah. her look I'm not down a mine no of course and I mean look like anything we talk about somebody's got it worse somebody's working harder yeah. somebody's like yeah but it, know, but being at home with a baby or, is definitely a full-time job yeah it yeah. is definitely a full-time job and then I am doing some work on top of that to earn some money so yeah, yeah. no that's true yeah. it is very true there was yeah. a really interesting project I think I heard of it at either on the high-low or on um call your girlfriend where a woman in the states sent a bill to congress for all of the unpaid hours she put <laughs> into to care yeah. for her child and I think she did it like she she compared it to her husband she was basically she only billed for the extra hours. Oh, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That she did it like above and beyond. Yeah. And it was really like it worked out something like 90 hours a week or 95 hours a week. It was insane. I mean, if I give it a lot of thought, I'm really annoyed. At, you know, And I think every new mother, every new parent is really annoyed at the childcare situation in Ireland. Mm. Like it is a shit show. Not enough is being done. And um, we have friends in Norway and they are like it's an Irish guy married to a Norwegian girl and they have two kids and they are incredulous at how crappy mm. it is here. But you know, TVs don't give a shit like. No. Um, so um, it's not going to change. I recently had to fill out a survey in work, well, in my work until the end of the month where it was talking about workplace conditions mm. and they put in a box saying, would you suggest anything to improve employment or, you know, to, to, to improve working conditions? And I was kind of there like, because I listen to Call Your Girlfriend a lot and they talk a a lot about work and a lot about women in work. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about like, what could I say here that would um, really help? And so I decided that, and like, it kind of wouldn't have occurred to me at first, because as I mentioned, like, I don't have children. I also am single, so I have no plans. Well, not that single people can't have any plans. I am single, comma, I have no plans to have children, Mm. comma, I have no one to have children with. (laughs) (laughs) Um... But I wrote down that they could provide free childcare and equal paid paternity leave, mm-hmm. which I think is something that we don't think about enough mm-hmm. until we have to think about it. Yeah, absolutely. Do you know what I mean? That it's yeah. only when you're faced with, fuck, how am I going to go back to work? Yeah. That it seems like, oh, that could have been important. 
And I think that's something that we should all be talking about and like maybe lobbying for more. Mm-hmm. And when we see people building, you know, new office blocks that like, can we write to the company, you know, who are who are opening their office there and go, are you putting in a crash or like not even the company, but when we see, you know, big like buildings that are designed for four or five or six different companies, mm-hmm. are they designing that with a crash? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like, are we but I mean, designing to, our world for the people who live in it? But you have to go right back and look at the insurance companies because the cost of having a baby room in a crash is so exorbitant that loads of oh. creches now aren't doing baby rooms. And you can't put it, you know, you might not have a local crash that you can put a baby into because they're only taking children at 12 months and you have to go back to work at 10 months. You know, mm. like there's loads of other factors that make it too difficult to God, go back. It's exhausting. Yeah. But also, look. It was definitely a choice and I love it. You know, mm. and I'm really happy to be at home with her. So, you know, it it is a big, like nobody forced me to stay, yeah, nobody forced yeah. me to give up and nobody forced me to stay home. It is both, you know, the difficulty that having her, that kind of spurred us into the decision. There were a, a number of elements. So it, it, I mean, it is very much, like loads of people just want to go back to work and mm, I just didn't mm-hmm, want to go mm-hmm. back to work. And then you had the people that are, Oh, where you're not? Oh, you're not going back? Oh, no, good for you. <laughs> that was Jennifer Stevens, former editor of Irish Country Magazine and a whole lot of other titles, and currently freelance journalist who wants me to tell you that she is available for commissions. You can follow her on Instagram at Jen Stevens Dub. And I would like to give a big thanks to my producer, as always, Liam Garrity, whose own podcast, Meet Your Maker, you can find at meetyourmaker.ie and wherever you're listening to this podcast. I'll catch you again in two weeks. 